my philosophy is that really young kids they have they have these dreams and they just don't have the long-term view of how to get there so as long as it's their dream you can provide some guidance to them saying you know hey all you got to do is get a little better every day so improve a tiny bit every day and someday it will add up This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Project podcast. Today I'm speaking with Rob Friedman, a highly regarded baseball analyst, entrepreneur, and social media guru commonly referred to as the pitching ninja in the baseball community. Rob currently serves as an analyst for Peacock TV, MLB, Nesson, and Fox Sports. As the CEO of both flat ground pitching and flat ground hitting, Rob helps remove barriers in the sport by using social media to showcase talent and prevent players from slipping through the cracks. Rob and I discuss the importance of having a growth mentality, the value in teaching kids' decision-making skills from a young age, and why he believes the key to sustained success requires incremental growth every day. Let's go. I am freaking excited. I got another awesome guest. He is uh, someone a lot of you will know. If you don't, you need to know. But uh, he's someone I, I was able to, to connect with a few years ago. He is Rob Friedman, but better known as the Pitching Ninja. Rob, thanks so much for hopping on, man. Pleasure to have you. Oh, dude, my pleasure. Man, going back a few years ago, I know we touched on, you know, we talked a lot about youth sports and athletic development, kind of your background there. And, you know, I know you wear a lot of hats, right? You've coached, obviously you got the Pitching Ninja thing. You're entrepreneur, you're an attorney. You got so many darn things. What I want to know is, you know, I kind of talk a lot about um, how sports opens up tons of doors, right? It's not just, hey, let's get a college scholarship. Let's go to the pros. There's so many things from youth sports that can open up. I just want to know your background. How did you get to the point now where you're you're the pitching ninja? I mean, you're a YouTube guy, all these different things. Dude, I have no idea how I got here. I just wear a lot of hats because I don't have a lot of hair. Um it's yeah, like I just started out coaching mostly. Like I wasn't this great stud player or anything like that. I love baseball. But really once I had a kid, it was an opportunity to kind of learn the game again because you never want like I didn't want to pass down what I did because I knew everything had changed. I went on a mission to learn everything I could and to teach it to all the kids I was coaching. And uh the legal background is useful because it it lets you question things. Like I have a good way of questioning things and putting out content very short. So my I taught legal writing and stuff. So that's the way my mind works is to kind of spot issues, to take apart arguments, to look deeper into things. And that's what I did with baseball. So I started passing that down on social media after after teaching kids stuff and realizing that it worked, asked a lot of questions. And I knew that someday I probably wasn't going to be coaching, but I also didn't want others to not have I wanted to reach as many people as I could to let them see kind of what I'd learned along the way and to not let it go away. Like I think um, there's a lot of people that, that can't afford great they don't have the time. They can't afford it. They can't afford great lessons. And to me, I could do all that because again, I'd start my own business and sold it, did really well. So it was an opportunity to give back and help grow the game, basically. You know, that's a great point that you get into that. And, and you know, there is this whole, you know, separation, I would say, and, you know, coming up and you, I have six kids. I know we've talked about that and you've been through it all. 
But youth sports is very, very expensive, right? A lot of kids don't. Yeah. And baseball gets a bad rep in the sense that if you don't have thousands of dollars to pay for exclusive teams or private lessons, you can get left behind. But you're one of the ones out there who are really, I want to say, you're providing, I mean, basically free content that is invaluable. Is that what you're talking about, what you're trying to provide? Oh, 100%. I think baseball not only gets a bad rap, but it deserves it a lot of times. And it's, I understand how it happened because every parent wants what's best for their kid. And, you know, you don't ever want your kid not to make it or not be interested in a sport because you couldn't afford this team and you couldn't do, you couldn't afford these lessons. So it's almost like an arms race. Parents are doing it a lot of times for the right reasons. I don't think it's necessarily living through their kids, but it's more trying to remove as many obstacles as they can for their kids. And in doing that, they're spending a lot of money and it's driving other people out of the sport that can't afford it. So if I can't afford a $500 glove and a $500 bat or a $5,000 travel team and all the expenses that come along with it, then I'm going to play another sport. And to me, the way to increase popularity of baseball among kids is to remove those barriers because nobody wants to play with, you know, you show up on a team, you may be the best athlete out there, but if you have crappy, you know, crappy glove, a crappy bat, you don't want to always be borrowing your friend's stuff. You don't want to like be out of touch because your friends had all these $200 an hour lessons and stuff and you can't afford it. So you choose a sport where that doesn't matter and it's, and it's a little less expensive to play and it's more fun for you. So yeah, I mean, my job, I, my job that I took, is basically to tear down those barriers to grow the sport. And how have you found, and I, it's, I know when I first started following you, Jason Howell, shout out, you know, assistant baseball coach. I think he's associate head coach or one of them at, at UNC, but I know he was at Georgia Tech. He's a former teammate yep. of mine and he, you know, him as well as Seth LaFerra kind of told me and I, and I started following, you know, your Twitter feed. I think you only had around, a, I say only, you know, around 100,000 followers at the time. Since then, it's like tripled or quadrupled. Um, but how have you seen the reception, not just from, you know, the, the, the fans that follow, but also from now you're doing podcasts, you're, you're, you're putting out just such elite level, really in-depth content. Did it take you a little while to kind of break down that barrier to get those athletes, those pitchers or, or whoever to come on board and, and be willing to talk about things? Surprisingly not. And that is one of the biggest things that I've been surprised at is one of the early adopters to my content were major league pitchers because they they hadn't thought about a lot of this stuff. And and I think the more I put out, the more they were like, really? That's interesting. So I'm getting DMs and people just following me for a long, long time. And it, and now it becomes almost like folks just want to be on um, because they want to give back too and they don't know how. Like a lot of players, they want to see the sport grow. They're not in it just for themselves, but they don't really have a, an avenue to do it. So if I can be that avenue and share pitch grips and mental game stuff and mechanic stuff, um, they view that as much easier than them having to put out their own content, which they might not, you know, they don't have the time to do it. So a lot of, like, it's been really, really easier than I thought in that I think people now, you know, they love coming on and sharing stuff and they're, they're almost like, wow, I'm talking to Pitching Ninja. I'm like, dude, you're the famous dude. Like, you're the guy playing baseball for a living. I'm just the dude with a computer who asks a lot of questions. I love it. Not everyone's going to get to the big leagues. Not everyone's going to play college baseball. So it's like, what avenues can I go down? 
what from your sport background propelled your interest in athletics to want to kind of to push that like what was it from your playing experience at a young age that made you realize you wanted to be involved in athletics or how, how can kids kind of use their love of sport and maybe look at your experience and realize there's more avenues other than just being on the field yeah i think the biggest thing is to like it wasn't particularly my ability because lord knows that wasn't there it was more of the like the love of the game and never stop learning. Like, I think that's the big thing is a lot of people, and you'll see this a lot of times with pro athletes is, you know, they're successful, but sometimes it's just, they're naturally either gifted. um, They didn't have to work that hard or they worked hard and it worked for them, but they work differently and they may not be able to communicate to a player. So to me, passing down a bunch of different ways of doing things is really cool. So I think, Everybody has something to add. Just because you didn't play doesn't mean that your advice isn't valuable. Um, as long as you listen, too. Like, I think the key also is not to just argue, not to just fight on social media, but to use it as a way of learning and constantly growing. Like, I think you need a growth mentality versus saying, you know, I can never do this or, you know, this is the way it's done. And always just keep learning. I think that's what you can get through sports, like taking sports and bring it to the real world. So competitiveness, work ethic, winning as a team helps you in everything you do. And then vice versa, taking what you've learned and you're, if, if you're not an athlete, take what you've learned and try to apply it. Put yourself in the athlete's shoes and find similarities of what they do to what you do. And then figure it out. Like there's never a reason not to keep figuring it out. Talk about a life lesson to extract, right? Like, and I've heard that because I've interviewed a, a ton of, you know, high level coaches and athletes as well. But is there a direct correlation you've seen from, you know, the athletes you've spoken with, the pitchers you've spoken with that they have an open mind, right? They don't feel like they have all the answers. Do they remain coachable through their career? You know, from Nolan Ryan all the way down to, you know, someone in the big leagues now, is that, is that a similarity you see with the elite level players? I think that's some of it. Yeah. I think, um, you know, Nolan Ryan wasn't always Nolan Ryan. He was a wild man who couldn't find the plate. But he found Tom House and was willing to ask questions and learn. And I think that that's why he became Nolan Ryan. I think a lot of pitchers, um, a lot of successful ones do it. And then some are great and they don't know why they got there. They're just like, I've always done this. Like, I don't think too much. And you can get by with either one. But, you know, I really appreciate the guys who are constantly tinkering with stuff. The you Darvishes of the world who have... You know, we're always looking to add a pitch or a little wrinkle to stay ahead of competitors. We're always thinking, um, you know, that's a lot of fun to see. And, and I think yeah, even Shohei today, like Shohei just teaches himself a, a, a sinker because he felt like he needed to challenge himself and get better instead of saying, you know, my strikeout, my, my K per nine is already huge. That's all I need. Instead, he's always adding something. So I think always growing and challenging yourself is the key to life in general. How did you find, because you're, you're, if I'm not mistaken, I know your son at one time pitched at Georgia Tech. I mean, here he is yep. at a power five. How did you manage as a parent, let's flip the script a little bit, you know, going through the whole youth sports or I, you're down there, I believe in, you're in Atlanta area, you know, East Cobb, one of the hotbeds of, you know, baseball in the, in the United States. How did you manage it from a sports parent? Were you more hands-on? Did you kind of let him go through his whole thing? How'd you do that? A little bit of both, actually. So I was very hands-on in that my philosophy is, that really young kids, they have, they have these dreams and they just don't have the long-term view of how to get there. So as long as it's their dream, you can provide some guidance to them saying, you know, hey, all you got to do is get a little better every day. So improve a tiny bit every day and someday it will add up. 
my son was always a smaller kid. So it wasn't always that obvious that that was going to happen. But I had faith in the process by just always doing a little bit every day, just giving him that guidance, like in life that worked for me and everything I've done. I'm not the best tweeter in the world, but I do something every day to get better, um, which makes me eventually really good at it, I think. But it's not like I was born to do it. Um, as a matter of fact, the Internet wasn't even around when I was born. Um, so it's that process, but then also understanding that it's not your life. Like, I don't care. I just want most parents just want their kids to be good at something. And setting up that work ethic allows them to be good. If you can you know, use baseball as a metaphor for everything, you do that. You get better and better every day at anything you do. And eventually you're you can be a, a expert or at least really good at something. So to me, that was always the overarching thing. But then. When he was like, so when I was coaching, it was all about that. But at some age, eventually it becomes the kid's choice and you got to stay out of it. Like once the kid can make decisions or decide that if they want to play the piano or do whatever, that's their dream. That's their life. And your job as a parent is to help and stay out of the way. I mean, I have my oldest is 17. My youngest is four and I got four in between there. So like, I know I've had each kid's different, but like at what age do you feel like, you know, we, we always want to make sure the kids have a voice and, but that like you keep yeah. using that word guidance. What's a healthy balance of, cause listen, I have kids that are highly motivated and I have some that if I let them, left them to their own devices, they would sit inside and play video games all day long, which there's a time and place for, for that, right? Absolutely. So, so how do I know or how did you manage, like what are ways that you can navigate you know, knowing when it's too much versus, hey, this kid needs a little, I need to really kind of help push him along here. So my original rules were you get your schoolwork done first, homework, everything. Otherwise, you can't do anything. Like that's that's the first thing. Second thing is practice whatever sport was in season or whatever, you know, whatever you want to be good at. It doesn't have to be a sport, but spend some time getting better, maybe, you know, half hour, an hour. Sometimes I'll be, I'll do it. Sometimes I wouldn't and just say, hey, go downstairs and do whatever, you know, just do something to get better. And then video games are totally cool. Like I understand kids need downtime, too. If they're always on and and working, that kind of blows for the kid. You want them to have fun. And video games are about socialization, competitiveness, too. So, I mean, I think saying that that doesn't have any value is kind of a, a parent thing to say. But it really does have value. So I have no problem with that. That's why a lot of a lot of athletes play video games because it's competitive and it's social and it's fun. So uh, and it's a way to get away from your parents as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a it's a sliding scale to me. I think early on parents need to have more structure because to provide the structure for the kid and maybe be a little more involved, but still keep it fun. Because if it's not fun, they're not gonna, the kids aren't going to do whatever. Even if it's their dream, they're going to say, "Ah, screw it." Um, but as they get older, maybe uh, puberty-ish, coaching, like it starts switching over that the kid's going to decide what the kid wants to do. And I think your job is to remind them, but also let them have those choices because the decision-making is another area of growth. Sure. Making the trade-offs between having fun with your friends and working at something, getting better, and knowing that if I don't work, it's going to show in the future. That's a trade-off, and that's that, I think, shows kids how to make those crucial decisions in life. So you, that's another learning experience. Decision-making, man. That is like, it's empower To me, that, that's, right, that's, that's empowering. You know, your son being a pitcher, you know, everyone, I think everyone who's listened here has obviously been to their kids or been to youth sporting events. And one of the things, and, and you talk about it, I'm sure, you know, Tom House talks about it a lot. Uh, 
We talk about parents that will stand there and be at the fence, at the backstop, you know, while the kid's hitting, get your elbow up, you know, talking to him in between every pitch. Or here's the best one, right? Your kid's pitching it. Come on, just throw strikes. Like, what are you kidding me? Like, like we're not trying to throw strikes. How did you, as a father of a pitcher, I don't know what you were like when you were there or not, but I'm sure you've seen it. How do you navigate that energy? How do you resist the urge to coach through the fence? Oh, I, I, I just, that was a natural inclination to not do it because to me, um, the only voice your kid's going to hear is yours. And it's, it's just going to be the source of drama. I know when I was coaching, I, you know, I was in the dugout with my son in high school, whatever. I wouldn't talk to him at all. I'd give him zero coaching because I knew every word would just get in his head too much. So in, I think I remember one time ever even talking to him in the dugout because it was just, this is his thing. I don't want to be that dad ever. So you have to, you have to take a step back, I think, for a lot of parents. But also I would just go walk around because one thing you competing, the other thing is your kid competing. It makes everybody nervous. I get it. Sure. You want your kid, you've seen your kid at his or her best. You know your kid can do it, but you also, you love your kid and don't ever want to see your kid fail. And it's tough as a parent, a pitcher, especially when everyone's watching you. You don't want your kid to, to not show off like you know they can, which is why even more so you should get the hell out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, like to me, that's the biggest thing is that one thing that's going to make them not perform well is you keep talking to them. When we return, Rob and I discuss why parents may want to stay away from being their child's biggest critic and his philosophy that getting a little better every day will eventually lead to long-term success. Welcome back. Where we left off, Rob and I were about to talk about why kids should be their own critics. You know, I had, I had rest in peace, my father. Love him, was the best. Uh, but he was a competitor. He loved, like all of us. And, and this was obviously a time in the 80s and 90s. And especially in college, I'd always, I'd always, I always joke with my dad. I'd say, Dad, I, I hated calling you. Like, he'd always know, because I was in North Carolina playing baseball and, uh, my parents were still in New England at the time. And, you know, my dad wanted to know how I did after the game, how we did. And if I went over four, I didn't get a hit or something like that. I, I wouldn't call. I just didn't want to hear. Oh, because he does. Ah, would you, ha- you know, what happened? You at least hit a ball hard. And I just didn't want to, didn't want to talk. So he learned, like, if you didn't hear from me, he figured give it a day or whatever. But how do you manage that energy on the car ride home? Hot button topic. It's a tough place to be, tough space. But I hear often, you know, people say that's where kids literally, the longevity of their youth or playing careers. Uh, could be grown or shortened by the car ride home. Yeah, and I think that that's 100% true. And I've got to admit, at first, I was not great about that either because you're like, now that I got you, it's after the game, we can start talking about something. And again, you want what's best for your kids, so you're asking questions. And if you don't get the right answer, it's going to be like you're just going to get into that argument. You have to take a step back and understand that that's not doing anybody any good. You want your kid to be self-critical. I mean, you want everybody to... You don't get good by not knowing your weaknesses. You just don't. Like if you ignore your weaknesses and don't try to make them your strengths, I think you're at a disadvantage. So teaching your kid to evaluate him or herself is really important. So that, you know, I'm going to look positively on some of the car ride home things. I think if you're a parent trying to do that, that's useful. But it's, it's, uh, again, it's tough because you're trying, if you're your, if you're your kid's best critic or biggest critic, you may be also your kid's 
biggest detractor in in being successful because at the end of the day, kids are going to get better because they want to do something. And if it makes it drama filled after they've, after they've competed, they're going to, it's just not going to be, yeah, it's not going to be something that they're going to want to do. So you're driving them out of the sport that you wanted them to play. So when you're, when you're, you know, being in the content space right now and doing all the things that you're doing, I mean, you're, you're a brand, uh, you've built an incredible brand and, and that's so weird, isn't it? It's, it's freaking awesome is what it is. <laughs> it's awesome. And what I want to talk about is for these kids out there who, and, and, and their parents, it's like, Hey, you can look to Rob Freeman. You can look to pitch a ninja and say, Hey, there, there's doors that you can cause to open up for yourself, right? Follow your passion. Because let's face it, I know the feeling because when I started Reform Sports Project, man, it was uncomfortable putting myself out there, putting my words out there and dealing with people having backlash. And then you feel like you need to respond to everyone. And this is in the very beginning. And then you realize that's the waste of time. You can't respond to everyone and you're always going to have. And then I realized like you can't have growth without having some criticism. You got to. And then I got to evaluate that. But how would you for those kids out there who are like, hey, I really want to get into the content space. Like I want to I want to put things out there. I want to make a difference. I want to. You know, I want to create a YouTube channel and, and, and find value in that. How do they go about doing that? And, and I guess how are ways that you found your passion? What are ways from, a, from an entrepreneurial standpoint that kids can harness, you know, their love for sport to help create content and eventually, I guess, build a business for themselves? Yeah, so it, it, it's interesting because I think some people think that it's a lot easier than it is or some people think it's too difficult. To me, most people that want to get in the content space, they think it's a quick way of doing something. And when they don't see success right away, they just stop and do something else. And to me, number one, I never set out to be a, like to do what I do. I just never did. It was it, it's still some days I wake up and going, I'm doing what? Like I'm a lawyer. I started my own business and sold it. And now I'm doing a baseball thing like I'm on TV doing baseball stuff like that doesn't make any sense. Awesome. Um, like I just wake up, it was a, you know, everybody goes through imposter syndrome. You go through like, why am I doing this? Like of all the people, why is it me? And then, uh, like, so I think my biggest, my, my biggest advice is to work really hard at it and to do something every day to get better. Just like being an athlete as a content creator, it's putting stuff out there, listening to see, you know, what's being successful, what's not what you like to do, your interesting take on something, but it takes a lot of freaking time. Like it is not for the faint of heart. Um, as far as hours, like I do, I am constantly doing baseball stuff during the season because I love it. But also because if I'm going to put my voice, I am going to live the life of doing it. Like I watch all the games. I break stuff down. I have my own take on it, but I also listen to see, you know, to still every day, I'll read my notifications and see comments and try to make my stuff better in some ways. So it's hard. It's hard work. It is not a quick, there's no get rich quick thing. There's no good quick thing in baseball or in life. Everybody looks for it. There's no magic answer. It's a lot of work and a lot of incremental growth every day. It sounds to me as you were talking, I'm thinking all I can think of is like, you know, just like in athletics, just like in anything, if you want to be successful, you got to be all in. You know, you got to be all in and you said it, you know, you got to live the life. You know, you're going to have a lot of would be or, you know, aspiring pitchers, baseball players, but not just that. You're going to have a lot of aspiring student athletes in all different sports who are going to listen to you from your experience as a sports parent and content creator and just the success that you are. What would be the best? But also you have flat ground app. You have, you know, the flat ground hitting. 
So you're helping kids get exposure, you know, which is a critical element. What are the best ways for you that you would give advice to these kids to get exposure, to get looks and to be seen, to help them in their recruiting process? Yeah, so the, the one easiest thing, and it's totally free, and people that don't take advantage of it are doing themselves a huge disservice. But if you tweet at Flatground app or at Flatground Bats, you will get seen. College coaches across the country follow it. Um, travel teams follow it. Coaches follow it, and they'll give you free advice. Like the idea of not doing that and putting your best foot out there with a lot of information about what you're looking for, about yourself. If you're not doing that, you're just cheating yourself out of a career and you, you know, it, it, the showcases and all that stuff are great, but this is free and you're saving your parents money. You're also showing that you're into it. Like if you're writing your own tweets and trying to learn yourself, that shows you're really bought into to this. And you're right. The key to everything is to own it. Like, I don't care if you want to be a, a social media person, if you want to be an athlete, if you want to be an entrepreneur, it's deep learning doing it yourself, being self, evaluating yourself, seeing where you come up short, being honest, but also not getting discouraged because everybody started somewhere. And if you constantly do that, if you have this loop of this is where I want to go, these are the steps that, that I think I need to do to get there, trying to do it every day and then being honest with yourself when you fall short, but also putting in the effort, foregoing some stuff that may be fun for you if you have a different goal. And people have a really hard time with that. Everybody wants to get rich quick. Nobody wants to put in the work. I will tell you from being an entrepreneur, I lived every single day trying to outdo my competitors every day, putting myself in their shoes, what they would do, outthinking them, outworking them. And it matters. So whether you want to be an entrepreneur or an athlete, it's the same thing. Mm. I love it. Rob Freeman, Pitching Ninja, Flat Ground app, Flat Ground hitting. Where else can we find? You got the podcast, the YouTube channel, just Pitching Ninja on YouTube? Yeah, Pitching Ninja videos on YouTube, Pitching Ninja on everything else, including TikTok. Um, and then, you know, whatever. Like, I'm, I think I'm everywhere. I don't understand it. Like, <laughs> I'm tired of myself. I love it. Well, you're about the only one, man, because I can't stop following you. I love, know all the kids do, man. I just can't thank you enough for your time, Rob. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me, dude. That's Rob Friedman, pitching ninja, baseball analyst, and entrepreneur. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacore, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.